So recently I've been thinking about how it changes the experience of listening to an album when you know the artist has passed away since. Like, for example, listening to Mac Miller, Nirvana, or Amy Winehouse. Not always, but sometimes. I can't help but think what they would be creating today, in 2023. But more specifically, I was listening to the album 17 by XXXTentacion. Now, this album meant a lot to me in middle school. Even though I didn't relate to most of the lyrical content, something about his ability to be so honest made me see music in a different light. I think this was the first time I had ever heard someone just speak to introduce their album in the form of a track, and the way he went about writing and producing Seventeen opened my mind up so much to how we can create music. He had written that album for himself and not for anyone else, and I was deeply touched by that. And as a result, I really attached myself to his art and his life. Listening back to that album is extremely painful. It was painful when it first came out, but it weighs down so much more now. And this left me thinking a lot about how there's this weird paradox with musicians who've died, that they don't get to see the impact they've left on earth, yet they leave such a massive legacy behind them. And then I kept thinking, what about the artists that weren't even recognized when they were alive and instead got famous after death? The fact that they have no idea what their songs mean to everyone today, it's almost devastating to think about, even though they would have no reason to feel like they were missing out. So, did they know their music was going to leave such a lasting impact while they were making it? Do we have to see our own success to feel successful? How can we be proud of what we've done without other people's reassurance? This is what we're going to try to unpack today. Firstly, I wanted to address that today's episode could be emotionally triggering because of the subject matter, so please use your own discretion while listening. However, I do want to focus less on death and more on the life that was led on earth, as I want this episode to honor the artists that I speak about and the music that they've created. With that being said, there is one artist that has had me hung up on this idea for the last year, Jeff Buckley. Now, of course, Jeff Buckley experienced success while he was writing and recording music, but recently there has been this massive resurgence of his music, mainly due to TikTok, where I'll see videos of Dave Grohl's daughter Violet covering Last Goodbye and Grace. Like, Jeff has become my generation's new musical fixation, and for good reason. I remember a year ago hearing Lover You Should Come Over for the first time in my headphones and being almost in shock to what I was hearing. I was immediately like, yes, okay, I get it. I understand it. It's such a beautiful song and it's so beautifully recorded. So after that, I spent the night just listening to his music and loving it. But as I was scrolling through the albums and singles, I started to notice the dates on them and I wondered why he wasn't releasing music still only to find out that he had died in 1997. And it was such an odd feeling because it changed my experience immediately. It was like my heart broke because I had stumbled upon someone so talented, and selfishly, I had to just be okay with the fact that I would never be able to hear a new piece of music from him. And it's so sad on so many levels because somehow life had stolen this star away from us. And I couldn't stop thinking about what he could have done the way him and his music would have changed 
people today if it had had the opportunity. So then I let Lover You Should Come Over play through again. But I cried a little that time. She's a tear that hangs inside my soul forever, broken down and hungry for your love with no way to feed it. Music is so powerful and Jeff's approach to singing and writing has left such a lasting effect on my generation. And I find it fascinating that his music was given life without his hand in it and that it's getting the recognition it deserved, but over 20 years later. Jeff Buckley is most recognized for his cover of Hallelujah, originally written by Leonard Cohen. Jeff is the son of Tim Buckley, who is also a prominent name in music. He began his solo career after a few short phases in bands, and he built his core following while he was playing coffee houses and clubs in New York, which eventually led him to signing with Columbia Records. While he was a well-known leader in the 90s indie music scene, he somehow is known more now than ever by my fellow Gen Zers, which just leaves my brain running in circles about the fact that he will never know the lasting impacts his music has had, and how many people he's reached. I truly hope that while he was writing and recording his music, that he knew that there was magic in it. He was a pure musician and I hope he felt success in that. Jeff Buckley leaves us with many quotes, but there's one that really sticks out to me. He says, I don't really need to be remembered. I hope the music's remembered. So, do we need to have measurable success to feel successful? How can we learn to trust our own intuition? I think before we get started, the word success is the wrong choice. I would go as far to say is that we don't need success to feel happy, but rather we need purpose to feel happy. And while I do think that we can find purpose without praise, it's much harder to accomplish because we have to choose to feel it on our own will, rather than waiting for someone else's input. But once you do find it, the feeling is lasting rather than fleeting because it's based on more than just an opinion. It's based on hard work and passion and curiosity. I think that Jeff Buckley got it right. He had such an artistic view on life that it was never actually about what the art gave him, but rather what he gave the art and how that changed him. I think that it's so important to learn to value our own work regardless of other people's input. But as humans, we rely so much on community that it can be very hard to feel confident in something if you haven't seen it touch somebody else's life. I was reading an article by Dr. Kyler Shimway called, Why do I care so much about what other people think? And I thought it really painted the picture well. The reason we inherently care about the opinions of others is because initially we couldn't survive without someone else's care. As a child, we had to depend completely on a caregiver. Specifically, the article says, we learn from the very beginning that disconnection means suffering and deprivation. We have to stay connected to survive. So then we get to be a bit older, about elementary school age, and we learn even more about human connection. We learn that being liked and making friends feels great, but that being left out really hurts. So we act in ways that we know will gain us approval from our peers. This makes a lot of sense to me because... When I was thinking about my opinion, aside from psychology, I had also tied it back to elementary school. I think it really is engraved in us as kids. Like for example, 
even something as simple as being graded on your art project. Well, the grading and feedback provides deep insight. I feel like it's also teaching us to wait for someone else's reaction on our work before we solidify our own opinion on it. Like, we can all remember that one essay we wrote that was full of memories and love and lessons that were personal to us. But when we received our grade, it had a massive C- on it because of grammatical errors. It can be such a devastating experience to feel so deeply connected to your work, to share it, and then for the reaction to fall short of what you anticipated. Which is why I feel that it's so important for us to focus more on the effort and love that we put into something rather than the outcome. Because everything, even music, is subjective. But if you have found deep meaning in the process of creation, then no one can take that from you. You learn to love what you create not because you created it, but because it's become its own piece of art now, separate from you. This idea again reminds me of something Rick Rubin said in his book, The Creative Act, A Way of Being. If we can tune into the idea of making things and sharing them without being attached to the outcome, the work is more likely to arrive in its truest form. Okay, so now comes the question, how do we even trust our own judgment, our own intuition? It is such a difficult thing to conquer Especially in my generation, I feel like we really fall short here. I remember being 15 and sending like 8 photos of myself to my friends and asking which one I looked best in before I posted on Instagram. And then, does this caption sound weird or which emoji should I add? And the worst part is that I didn't even think twice about it. It wasn't until I realized that I couldn't even make my own decision on which angle or smile looked best that it hit me like a ton of bricks that somewhere along the way I had put other people's opinions of me above my own, that I stopped trusting my own judgment. From then on, I never asked another opinion on which Instagram photo to post because I knew that if I didn't catch myself there, that the habit was going to seep into other aspects of my life. I wanted to tell this story because it was the first time I specifically remember choosing to trust my own judgment. And as insignificant as that moment was, I have carried that lesson with me all my life, and it has changed the way I act, and it has added so much value to my life. On top of this, I also think that we need to be aware and start the deconstruction of some of the things that we subconsciously believe. The last couple days I've been reading Madison Beer's memoir. She's a singer that I've lightly followed since I was about 14, so I was really intrigued to hear what she had to say about her experience in the music industry since being 12. And so far it's been great, but the moral of the story is that one of the things she pointed out in her book hit me immediately, and I've clung on to it for the last couple days. She says, But I experienced firsthand how the emphasis on celebrities in this generation is teaching kids that in order to be valid, they have to be seen. In order to be valid, they have to be seen. Like, hello? It's so good because it's so true. Now that social media and the presence of celebrities are such a massive aspect of our society, we start to rely on both of them for what is real and what is valuable. Now that we all have a digital footprint, it's almost like anything that we don't post never happened. 
I can't go scroll my great-grandma's Instagram profile and see what she was posting at 21, but my great-grandchildren will be able to do that with me. So naturally, it distorts my concept of reality, to the point where in order for life to be real, it has to be seen. And the easiest outlet of that is social media, and the easiest role model is your celebrity of choice. We look at our favorite singer and we see their follower count at, say, 3 million and internalize it to the point that we put their value instantly above ours. Because we think, obviously, if they have more followers, it's because they have more to offer the world. Therefore, if I want to be valid, I have to be seen too. To say the least, this blew my mind when I broke it all down. Even though we are all created equal and we all have a unique gift to offer, social media tells us that we're wrong and that what we do is only worth something if someone else validates it with a like and a follow. So I think when it comes down to it, the first step to trusting your own judgment is self-awareness, second step is practice, and lastly, learning the ability to hold yourself accountable and embrace your mistakes. Alright, so, self-awareness. Self-awareness starts with discipline and getting to know yourself, because you can't trust something that you don't know or respect. Last month, I had my phone break, and I spent the day at work without it while it was trying to get fixed, and it made me realize how attached to it I really am, and I know this isn't a new realization for people, but if you want to feel self-aware, leave your phone at home for a day. For hours, I had these thoughts coming into my head like, I need to text that person, or, ooh, make a note of that, or, here, let me show you a photo of it. It made me realize that so many of my actions are just subconscious reactions to my thoughts. Let me say it again. My actions were subconscious reactions to my thoughts. And without my phone present to complete my action, all I had was the thought so I had to linger on it rather than getting distracted by the action. Hopefully this makes sense, but in other words, being without my phone forced me to pay more attention to how much I wanted to pick up my phone. And because of that, I decided while I'm working on specific things, I'm gonna leave my phone in a different room so that my brain can actually rest. The overconsumption on the internet is crazy, and I'm 100% guilty of it. I love a good TikTok scroll before bed, but because of that, I never truly let myself unwind and I'm constantly distracted from real life. In order to trust our judgment, we need to be self-aware about the things that have a hold on us, as well as the things that we're passionate about, because we need to be able to tap into our intuition. If you spend a little more time questioning the world around you, you'll notice which things draw your interest. And those are the sparks that you should follow. But you have to be able to hear your intuition, which means that we need to spend more time living without distractions. So my suggestion is to make a focus setting on your phone. It's a special feature on the iPhone. Um, I don't, I'm, I'm sure other phones do it. I, I don't specifically know, but the focus settings allow you to specify which notifications you let come through. So, my suggestion is to make one called Reconnect and make it so that you're receiving zero notifications. Nothing. Maybe allow calls if you deal with anxiety, but no social media, 
no texts, no reminders. Make that setting and then put your phone just out of sight. Put in your headphones, lie on your bed with just the light from the window coming into your room, and listen to a new album, one that you haven't heard, from start to finish. Allow your thoughts to come and go, and if something sparks your interest, try writing it on a piece of paper instead of your notes app. Let your brain focus on one thing. I know it's hard, but it's necessary. And that's why the next point is practice. It's funny because I remember being in elementary school and our teacher explaining multitasking to us. And she shared some random stat that women are better at it. And immediately I felt so prideful. I had this sense of accomplishment. And I remember her saying, this will be helpful as you get older in the workplace. And it left me feeling so confident in my work skills. And while I still agree with that statement, that my ability to do multiple things at the same time is helpful, I think that we glorified the idea of multitasking too much to the point where people have no idea how to zone into one thing anymore. We have lost the ability to perfect one piece of work because we are so consumed with what else we should be doing, which has left us unable to walk down the school halls without music blasting in our AirPods or to sit in our room without some white noise in the background. Like, while I was writing this, I was literally listening to music. And while these seem like unimportant examples, they have started to affect us deeply on another level. They say our attention span is literally 8.25 seconds long now, and that it has decreased 25% from 2000 to 2015. <laughs> That's terrible. I mean, when I'm on TikTok, I know in about half a second if I'm going to watch the whole TikTok or scroll past. And normally the TikToks I sit through are only 30 seconds. Like I'm literally ruining my brain one second at a time. But I can't stop. I'm addicted. I'll admit it. I can barely sit through a 25-minute YouTube video without a snack. Let's be totally honest. So, what do I do? Rather, what can I do? Practice is the answers, ladies and gents. And after reading into things, it seems that the main thing we can do to increase our attention span are number one, being okay with boredom. Number two, having good patience. And number three, our ability to be interested in what we're doing. I know that the idea of being bored sounds, well, boring, but it kind of ties back to what I was talking about earlier. Spending more time with less distractions. Spending time with our own thoughts. An example of this that was suggested that I really like is listening to a podcast while taking notes on it. This works because you're only consuming one thing, but you are actively engaged in it because you're taking notes. And I really like the idea because I feel like it combines all three components into one task. By nature, we're going to be a bit bored listening to a 40-minute podcast because it's long-form content, but that gives us an opportunity to practice patience. And if we choose something that interests us, it shouldn't be as hard to pay attention. So now that we've found our spark and we've practiced patience to be able to look into that spark, the last part is accountability and embracing mistakes. 
Accountability is a very important part to this because I think people fall on two sides of the spectrum. They either fully praise anything they make or they think everything they make is worthless. Both sides of the spectrum are so dangerous. If you think that everything you make is perfect and without fault and you're not prepared to look at it with a critical eye, you could miss the opportunity to truly tap into the art. You might end up with a piece of art that looks beautiful but has nothing to do with your experience of the world or your unique view on life. And if you're on the other end and you scrap every project you start just because it's not good enough, then you're also missing the point. The point in art is to be honest or to relay a message. And by finding a flaw in every step, you are not allowing yourself to discover the good in what you're making. You are tainting the art. If every artist was a perfectionist, we'd have no art. And if every artist was an egotistical jerk, we'd have a lot of very similar, quote-unquote, bad art. To make something good and pure, we have to find ourselves somewhere in the middle. We need to recognize our wins and our losses. And for the people out there who are scared to fail, you have to let yourself fall. This is probably one of my hardest lessons to learn. I have always been afraid of what would happen if I failed because it felt like I was letting everyone around me down. In some weird way, it felt like my failures would become burdens on the people in my life. But I've been trying to work through this, hence starting this podcast, but um, it definitely is something that creeps up in a lot of aspects of my life. A question that I have in the back of my brain that I try to reference a lot is, what would happen if I just let myself fail? Because I'm always so quick to run away that I actually never know the outcome of my failure. And in small moments in my life, I'm learning that just because I feel like I failed doesn't mean that's how people view me. Learn to fall so that you can practice getting back up. Taking joy in what we've done without recognition or approval is something that we really need to practice. I think that the biggest example of this is Van Gogh. Van Gogh is one of the most famous artists held to some of the highest regards, to the level that people who don't even know anything about art can see Starry Night and know that it's Van Gogh. All this to say, in 1880 when he was painting, nobody cared. In fact, The consensus was that it didn't even deserve a second look. Throughout his art career, we only really know for sure that he sold one painting, titled The Red Vineyard. That painting sold for $22, which after inflation would be worth about $2,000 today, except for the fact that now, many of his paintings cost $40 million. So, While he was painting, did he know that one day his art would be recognized by the entire world? That it would mean something? That's something that we won't truly ever know. And in our twisted view of success, the idea of never receiving praise for our life's work almost devalues the importance of the work itself. What does it mean if it means nothing to anyone? It's depressing. But it almost feels true, you know? We want what we do to be worth something. And who really knows if that deep-rooted feeling will ever go away? But I was reading an article about why we feel the need to be recognized so badly. 
and it was really interesting. It said, We all have something inside of us that is of value, but when we receive an external positive response to it, it teaches us to see our own value as a feeling, something that's fleeting, rather than something that we have always had and always will. I wanted to finish this episode off with another Jeff Buckley quote that I heard in an interview. Grace is what matters in anything, especially life, especially growth, tragedy, pain, love, death, about people, that's what matters. That's a quality that I admire very greatly. It keeps you from reaching for the gun too quickly. It keeps you from destroying things too foolishly and it sort of keeps you alive, and it keeps you open for more understanding. So keep grace in mind when you're about to delete that TikTok that you spent 30 minutes on just because it hasn't hit a thousand views. Try sitting in a feeling that makes you uncomfortable. Let yourself become bored. Practice trusting your intuition. Don't throw out the painting. Let it inspire your next one. Because yes, you can 100% create good things with success as your main goal. You can follow the code to a T and gain recognition for it. But if the art meant nothing to you, then it doesn't matter. If you didn't mean what you wrote, then one day it won't mean anything. After listening to many Jeff Buckley interviews, I'd like to believe that by the way he viewed the world, that he knew his music always meant more. But that even if he didn't, he was okay with it because what it was was enough for him. And I wish that kind of belief upon all of you as you follow your dreams. All my sources and social media accounts are in the show notes, as well as the email. Please feel free to share your thoughts. Let's let music bring us together. And don't forget to grow up slowly.